0: Today we're looking at uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 38 through 45. So if you would please stand with me, and we'll read the word of God. Starting in chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first so also will it be with this evil generation. You can be seated.
1: All right, so uh, good to see y'all here. Glad uh, y'all's clocks were. You know, this morning, this is the most amazing thing. I saw people running this morning at like really early. And I'm thinking, even with the clock change forward, you got up and ran, that's just crazy to me. Like, those. That's. I mean, first of all, running is probably the most boring thing in the world. But then, like, to get up an hour earlier and run... um, Anyway, I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll jump in. Um, this is a, an interesting, interesting uh, week. This week, it's it's kind of got some some deeper things to it. We're finishing doubt and denial, where we're really focusing on denial, and there's some uh, there's some kind of deeper things. I'm hoping that we'll, as we dive in, you're going to see some some things that are going to bless you, but we're going to have to spend a little time and a little work to understand it, and then we'll hopefully conclude with some things that will that will be a blessing to us all. But let's 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 ask God for help. Let's pray. Jesus, um, I thank you for this morning where we can look at your word. And Lord, your word, as you've promised, is able to do many, many, many things. And so <clears throat> I pray for those who know you as we look at a text that's seemingly big picture and seemingly try uh, difficult to maybe understand, that you would use it to to bless us and to show us that Jesus is our only hope and that we must continually um, believe in who he is and that he is our great prophet, priest, king. And for those maybe who don't know Jesus this morning, uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you, would use <coughs> you would use this text to il- illuminate their eyes to see that um, Jesus is their only hope and that they can receive forgiveness of sin and begin life, <coughs> life eternal with him. We love you, Lord, and I, I confess my utter need for you this morning and that I am completely incapable of doing anything um, without a move of your spirit. And so I pray that your spirit would come and that you would do all the work and that you would remove me out of the way. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. So this morning, one of the big things that I'm wanting you to hear is this. I'm wanting all of us to, to um, be able to ask this question and have this question answered. Why is it? that I need to hear about Jesus being my great, uh, the greatest prophet, priest, king. Here's the thing. Um, If we can really dive in and get a good understanding of what this text is teaching us about Jesus being our great prophet, priest, king, and what that means, then we will be able to see his extraordinary value and um, hopefully leave here not just worshiping corporately through song in a much greater way, but worshiping him with our life. As in walking through life, making uh, extraordinarily Christ honoring, uh, Christ exalting decisions, and we, the reason why we do that is not because we have to, but because we want to live for Christ in everything we do. And so that's that's what can happen as we're looking at this particular section, where we're going to see that Jesus is our great prophet, priest, king, and this is really three offices that were. Rooted in the Old Testament and they were there were people who were priests, there were people who were prophets and people who were kings in the Old Testament. And um, those were given to us in the Old Testament so that whenever Christ came, he would be the greatest prophet, priest, king all in one and show us that those things were really just kind of uh, beginning things to help us understand more about Jesus and just how extraordinary he is. And so that's what we're wanting to see here um, and, and, and ultimately understand everything Christ has done for us. So. As we're looking at prophet, priest, king and how these truths are rooted in the Old Testament being talked about there in that first century with Matthew. And they're very evident with us today that as we're looking at Matthew, this conversation that's happening with the Pharisees about prophet, priest, king has direct implications on the Pharisees. So Jesus, as he's talking about prophet, priest, king, uses specific examples about prophet, priest, king that's just for those Pharisees. And we're going to talk about the hard heartedness, the cold uh, legalistic rule following without any love for God hearts of the Pharisees. Um, and really, hopefully that will inform us today. So let me, let me let you see why we're talking about Prophet, Priest, King, and then we're, we're going to dive in. If you look with me right there in verse 41, at the very end of 41 and at the very end of 42, you'll see a little pattern where it says, something greater than Jonah is here. And then at the end of 42, something greater than Solomon is here. So there's this something greater than, fill in the blank, is here. Um, Jesus also did this for us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, where he says, something greater than the temple is here. And so Matthew, as he's writing this kind of long thing here in Matthew, in, in chapter 12, as he's having these conversations with Pharisees who were just the rule followers. They didn't really have a heart or love for God. And actually, we're going to see in the conversation in just a second just how much they didn't really care about God and what Jesus thinks. But they, they loved rules. And they loved rules so much that they threw rules on people and said, follow these rules if you want to follow God. They, they didn't love God. They just loved rules. And so... Jesus, as he's talking to them, and he's saying, because not only did they love rules, they're very well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the Old Testament very well. And so he's pointing them back to the thing they knew, which is the Old Testament scriptures. And he's saying something greater than Jonah is here. And he's actually, you know, and that's me. That's what Jesus is saying. So let's look at twelve six, where he says something greater than the temple is here. Now, the temple is representative here of the priest. And just like Jonah is representative of the prophet, Solomon is representative of the king, prophet, priest, king. So that's, that's kind of where we're going. So the first one that I want you to see here is, is number one, right out of 12 verse 6, is that Jesus is our far greater priest. Jesus is our far greater priest. Now, here's the thing, all right? Um, some of you are going to, you're going to like roll out of concentration with me. So uh, let me give you a little caveat, all right? I'm going to talk about prophet, priest, king, and I'm going to talk about the Old Testament role of prophet, priest, king, and how Jesus fulfills that. And there's, there's some, some informational kind of stuff there. And the idea is like, oh man, Old Testament stuff, that's kind of like, I don't get it. But what I want you to do is really, really concentrate with me and stick with me. Because once we get all that, then we're going to see some pretty uh, amazing things about Jesus and uh, this conversation that he's having with the Pharisees and what that requires of us. So stick with me as we're looking at this, all right? So verse 6, it says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now, the temple is uh, significant because this is where the priest was. And in the Old Testament, the priests, they did some things in the Old Testament on behalf of the people. The things they did, number one, is that they were the appointed men by God to go and offer sacrifices for the people. The next thing they did is that from time to time, they would go into the very presence of God, um, On behalf of the people, and and be with God on behalf of the people, and the the third thing that they would do is that they would offer prayers for the people. Now, here's the thing, that's nice, but Jesus is the greater priest because not does only does he offer a sacrifice for the people, he offers the once and final sacrifice, and it is literally himself. He goes and offers himself as the greater priest on the cross for us. In the Old Testament, they would take animals and they'd throw them up there and they'd kill them and they'd have to continually do that in order to continually atone for the sins of the people. But Jesus is the greater priest because he goes and offers the greatest sacrifice, which is himself once and for all. And, and he does that for all time. Now, the next thing that that the priests would do is they would go into the very presence on behalf of the people. But Jesus doesn't just go on behalf to, of the people to God. He literally goes and continually leads us, who are the people of God, into. He's not going for us. He's actually taking us, and we're being led into the presence of God with him. So we get to experience this one-on-one relationship with God, um, because Jesus has brought that. Just let me give you a verse where it says that. Really, if you read Hebrews, Hebrews is kind of unpacking this whole thing for us. Um, But one of the verses in Hebrews... Chapter 10, it says that, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, because he's a sacrifice for us by the new and living way that he opened for us through the uh, through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God, look at this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. This is what this means. You have complete confidence and complete full assurance because Jesus is your great high priest that he's not just going. For you on your behalf to to the presence of God, he is carrying you with him and you get to go into and experience the full presence of God, which is a very, very good thing to be in the presence of the Lord. The last thing is that he offers the priests in the Old Testament would offer prayers for the people. Jesus is the greater um, priest because he does this as well and he does it continually continually interceding before the Father for us. A couple of verses, just so you know, one's in Hebrews, one's in Romans. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's an amazing thing. Let me read the Romans 8 and then talk about it. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us right now at this moment, Jesus Christ is at the hand of the Father, interceding, literally offering continual prayers for the saints, for you, right now. He's doing that. He's the greatest priest there is. He, he made the sacrifice of himself. He carries us into the presence of God and, and lives to continually intercede for us right now. So, Jesus has opened for us a way to access God so that we can continually draw near to God's presence. Without fear, without fear. As a matter of fact, it's not that we're without fear. We're actually of full assurance that we can do this. This is all made for us by Jesus. Now, that's kind of the big picture thing. But if we narrow into Matthew and look at this conversation, right after he says something greater than the temple is here, he's looking at these hard-hearted, rule-following, legalistic Pharisees who just love the law and love oppressing people with more rules. He looks at them and he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He wouldn't have condemned. So, the thing that he's trying to show them that when he was talking about himself being the priest and doing these things for him, what he's wanting to draw out of them is mercy. He extends mercy and he's wanting these Pharisees to be merciful because he's the king. I'm sorry, because he's the priest. So, that's the first thing. So, Keep that, tuck that away in your mental categories. We're going to come back to it in just a second. Back over to our actual text right here in verse 38. And we're going to continually go through, and this is how the rest of the verses are going to look for us. Um, We're going to go through 42, and that's going to give us the other two of prophet and king. And then this, (laughs) this verse 43 through 45 where, you know, seems like it's just really difficult to understand. It's going to serve as our conclusion, and it's going to explain to us these hard hearts of the Pharisees. But let's look at at 38. It says, and then some of the scribes and Pharisees. Again, this is a continual conversation that Jesus has been having since verse 22. I don't know if that was last week or two weeks ago, but verse 22, we saw Jesus. There was a man that had a demon, and Jesus... Uh, exercise the demon out of him or cast the demon out of him. And all of a sudden the man's healed. The Pharisees are freaking out. You can't do that. And so he tells them a little story there in 29 about, you know, binding Satan and taking what's rightfully his. And he's saying, you can't be neutral about me. I have the authority to do everything. You can't be neutral. If you're, if you're neutral or you're, or you're against me, then you're against me. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to follow him wholeheartedly. That's kind of the context. And here we see in verse 38, some of the scribes and Pharisees started answering, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Verse 22, he just did a miracle. Look at the whole, the whole uh, Matthew of what we studied. Over and over and over, he's been doing miracles. They're like, we want a sign. We want a sign. We want to know for sure. Can you just for sure show us that you're, that you're um, the Messiah? And maybe there's a sense in which they're unsure, but more than likely... They're just simply trying to find more things that they can uh, trap him in because they have a bad heart that bears bad fruit. And look what he says to him. They say, we want a sign. And he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for signs. Now, this isn't just, I mean, you can tell in that where he's already called him a brood of vipers, I think, in verse 34, 35, referencing Genesis 3, the serpent, he's calling them equal to Satan. Here he's calling them. They, they believed so deeply, these Pharisees, that they were children of Abraham who received the original promise because they followed all the rules and did all these things. And so they were so proud that they were children of Abraham. And he looks at him and he says, You're not only evil, but you're adulterous. In other words, there's some time where those who were following Abraham left the family and they adulterated themselves out. They, they prostituted themselves out on, on the true God. And those children that are following this rule following thing rather than faith in God are just illegitimate children of Abraham. And so he's calling them. He said, you're all illegitimate children. You're not even, men of, you're not even followers of Abraham. <laughs> really strong language to him. And he says, you're evil and you're illegitimate. That's why you're seeking a sign. I'm right here. The Messiah is doing, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies and you're not willing to follow. So you don't get a sign. The only sign you get is the sign of Jonah. And we're going to see what that is. He says, for, uh, But you will get no sign to be given to you except for the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In the heart of the earth. So this is the only... Um, this is the only sign they're going to get is Jonah. And so uh, I'm not going to unpack Jonah. I did that in September. So if you want to hear sermons on Jonah, I did a four-week series in September on Jonah. But l- let me just kind of give you a quick understanding of, of what Jesus is trying to say with Jonah. Here you can see where he says, uh, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. And so first thing is, Jesus is saying Jonah was a real person. He really lived. Most people, not most, but there is some people who say, that Jonah was not a real person. And if if Jesus says, Jonah, (laughs) and he was a real guy that lived, we can all kind of rest assured that Jonah was real. Jesus said he was real. Not only that, the thing that we think is the most bizarre part about Jonah, you know, yeah, Jonah was real, but he didn't really get swallowed by a fish. Actually, that's the one thing that Jesus narrows in on. And he says, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Um, And uh a toss or something like that. It's it's just a big, huge fish. And that's Jesus is referencing the thing that everybody thinks isn't real and saying that really happened. And not only that, he's saying this sign of Jonah is the only sign you get. And he's not saying that Jonah had a sign and he was like showing it to people. He's saying that Jonah is the sign. The sign of Jonah is the fact that he spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And that sign is going to point to Jesus. And so what he's saying is, the point of the story of Jonah is Jesus. That's the whole point. Jesus is the point of Jonah. Jesus is the truer and greater Jonah. And so just like Jonah spent three days and three nights in a fish, Jesus spent three days in, the, as it says, the um, heart of the earth, which is whenever he was went into, after he was killed, went into the grave and then rose again on the third day. And so that's, that's what he's pointing out for us. Um, I don't have time to... As I said, unpack the whole Jonah. But let me just bring us all up to speed in what I mean by Jesus being the truer and better Jonah. Um, Jesus' kind of story is symbolized well. Parts of it are symbolized in Jonah. In in chapter 1, where the sailors took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And then peace was brought to those sailors. In the same way, Jesus was cast on the cross and brought peace to all those who follow him. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the heart of the great fish. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was restored um, after he rebelled against God and preached repentance towards people. Jesus comes and offers restoration for all people in repentance when, he preached, when the Gospels preached to us about him. Jonah commanded the attention of the Ninevites when he said when he preached the gospel to them three, day, three days, three nights, and you all will perish. Um, Jesus demands and commands and deserves our complete attention to obey and believe in him by faith. So you can see the similarities where Jesus is the truer and better Jonah. The whole book of Jonah is about Jesus. Um, and so here he says that uh, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And then even more, this is, this is where he starts really taking the knife, if you will, and jabbing it into the Pharisees. Uh, because then he starts saying things like this. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. Now, he, Here's the important thing. He's already told them that they're a brood of vipers. He's already told them that they're illegitimate children. Now he's telling them those who are so proud of being Jewish in their heritage. He's telling them right here. In verse 41, the men of Nineveh. And then in verse, verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up and, and judge you. He's saying Gentiles, Ninevites and the queen of the south, queen Sheba, queen of Sheba. Those Gentiles are going to rise up, you proud people who are Jewish, and they're going to come and judge you and condemn you. That's not something Jewish people, these Jewish Pharisees want to hear. The fact that Gentiles are more righteous have have exercised more repentance and exercised more wisdom and that they're going to be um, judged by people who are Gentiles. These these Pharisees do not want to hear that at all. And so he says the men of Nineveh, the pagan, debaucherous, sinfully just unbelievable, just diving into sin. Those men who once um, uh, were preached faith in the gospel, they repented and came to Christ. Those men are going to rise up and they're going to... Um, judge you with this generation and condemn you for the reason why is because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And then here it is. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So the second thing is that Jesus is the far greater prophet. Jesus is the far greater prophet. Now, the first thing is, I mean, there's a whole bunch of prophets. Why does Jesus pick Jonah? Why does he pick Jonah? Why not Isaiah? Why not Jeremiah? Why does he pick Jonah? Because he could have picked any prophet to make his make his point. Because he's, as he's having this conversation with the Pharisees, the thing that Jonah did is he went and preached repentance and people repented. And so he's preaching to these hard-hearted Pharisees, just like whenever he said something greater than the temple is here and what he wanted to draw out of them was mercy. Here he preaches about Jonah and says, I'm the, I'm the truer and greater prophet. I am, as Jesus Christ is saying, I am the prophet because he's wanting to draw out of them repentance. He's wanting to draw that out of them. And so let's just talk a little bit for a second about Jesus being our far greater prophet and what that means. Why is Jesus the far greater prophet? What does it mean that Jesus is the far greater prophet? And what does this mean for you? And what has He done? In the Old Testament, um, Jesus, in the Old Testament, there were uh, prophets who would go and they would make prophecies. They would kind of tell things that were going to happen. They would say, uh, "People of God, here's the deal: you're wickedly sinful." And the Lord has come, and he sent me to tell you of something. If you don't repent and change, I mean, it's going to be terrible. So you need to repent, you need to change, you need to believe. And sometimes they did, and sometimes they didn't. Um, And that's kind of what the prophet was. He kind of stood in between God and man, and he revealed God to them, um, kind of standing behind it. But Jesus is the far greater prophet. He is the uh, best prophet. So he's not not a man standing between us, although he is a man. But he's not only standing there telling us the words of God, he actually revealing God to us, he's actually the source of revelation as well. He's God himself. It's not like God tells him and then the prophet tells us. It's since he is the true and better prophet, he stands there on behalf of God because he is God and just reveals himself. So here's what that means. This is what it means. Instead of the prophet in the Old Testament saying, thus says the Lord, we hear Jesus saying, but I say to you. That's all he's got to say. And then whatever he says is from God. So Jesus is the prophet, um, someone greater than Jonah, because he's wanting to call out repentance in these Pharisees. Now, they don't, um, as we know, repent. But let's, let's keep going because Jesus isn't done. Just like the Ninevites are going to rise up and judge, so is the queen of the south. You might be wondering who the queen of the south is. Um, (laughs) it's not my wife, although she is my queen and she lives in the South, the queen of the South, or maybe your wife. She's this queen of the South is not that he's always saying kind of speaking of rising up and judging. I want to talk about the queen of the South. Who's going to rise up and judge this queen of the South is the queen of Sheba, which is in first Kings 10. There was a story of this, this, um, woman who heard about this King of Israel that was, unbelievably wise, Uh, not so wise that he decided to have 700 wives, but he was unbelievably wise. Um, Can you imagine that? Um, But anyway, so this queen heard that he was tremendously wise. And so she because she heard of that, she wanted to a Gentile go and be there and hear from this king. The right response is when you hear that there's a king who's wise, this Gentile got up and went to this king so that she could hear and learn from him. And this is exactly, because you can ask the question. Jesus says, um, the queen of the south is going to rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Why does Jesus pick Solomon? Why doesn't he pick David? Why doesn't he pick Saul? Why doesn't he pick another king? Why Solomon? Because Solomon's known for wisdom. So what he's wanting to draw out of these Pharisees is... You need to seek me for wisdom. You need to seek me for mercy and you need to be merciful. You need to repent and you need to seek me for wisdom, which is a huge blow to their pride. They thought they were so wise. They thought that they were so smart. And so he picked Solomon and Jonah in the temple specifically to say, I am the the true prophet, the true priest and the true king. And he's doing that because he wants them to see that because they knew the Old Testament and to Start being merciful and receive mercy to start repenting and to start seeking Jesus for wisdom so um, jesus is our, our the third one is our Jesus is our far greater king. so let me talk to you just a little bit about Jesus being our far greater king and then we 're going to um, get into forty three through forty five and try to understand that um, in the Old Testament. the king who ruled over Israel had authority, whatever he said is what they did, and in the New testament Jesus Is born king of the Jews. Matthew 2 2 makes sure he tells us that. And he began setting up his kingdom on earth in some senses. Not fully. It's not until his second coming that he comes and sets up his kingdom fully. But he is um, setting up his kingdom. And now, since he has obeyed God completely by going to the cross and has, um, whenever he went to the cross, he defeated Satan, sin, and death and then resurrected again and everything has been victorious. All authority has been given to Him. So now He is our King. He's not only the King of the church, those people that believe in Him, but He's also the King of the entire universe. Everything obeys Jesus. Everything. And it says in the Scriptures, one day, Christian or non-Christian, every knee will bow at King Jesus. Whether you follow Him or not, one day, every knee will bow at King Jesus. And so... um, Ephesians talks about this authority that was given to Jesus. It says this, he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority. This is showing us this amazing power, this kingship that Jesus has. He's far above all rule. All authority and all power and all dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one that's in to come, the one to come. And he put everything under the feet of Jesus and gave Jesus him the head of all things over the church. And so we see here that Jesus has the absolute king authority rule over everything. He is your king. So you must seek him for wisdom. He is your prophet. So you must seek Jesus to repent. And Jesus is your priest and you must seek him for mercy. It's the only place you're going to be able to find wisdom, repentance and um, mercy is in King Jesus. So if you don't know him, if he is not your king and you are seeking forgiveness, you know that there's this ache in your heart for the sin that you committed and you never receive forgiveness, there is no other place that you can go other than to King Jesus. What happens if you don't? What happens if you don't seek him? Because remember, not only am I, I'm not saying that you can kind of just run away from Jesus. You must seek Jesus. Very, very clear in verse 30. Let me read verse 30 where it says this. Whoever is not with me is against me. So if you don't seek him, you just remain here in neutral land where you're not against him, but you're not for him, or you actively go against him. This is what happens. That's what 43, 44 and 45 are about. And he's talking about the Pharisees. Remember, it's kind of in the context of this exercise, this exorcism that he did, where he cast out a demon in verse 22. It's in the little story time, parable time, Pharisees gather around verse 29, where he says, if you want to go into a house and steal everything, then you need to bind the strong man. And after you've bound the strong man, you can just take everything in the house. And what he's saying is you have to bind Satan. That's what Jesus has done. He's come and bound this Satan strongman and he's gone into the house, earth, and he's taken everything that's rightfully his, those children whom he's come to die for and bring back as his own. And so that's what he says. And then in verse 30 is that verse about, and you can't be neutral. Neutrality is not allowed when it comes to Jesus. It's seek him and receive life or walk away or be neutral and not receive life. So that's all in the context here as we're going into 43. And it says, And and this this 43, 44, 45 is talking to the Pharisees and it's telling them about their cold, legalistic, um, brick, hard heart that is not soft to Jesus. And he's saying, this is what your heart is like. And he tells them here in 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. So he's saying, there was a demon inside of a heart of a person and he left. That doesn't mean this person's saved. It just means that he's not uh, being you know, captured by this demon. It passes through waterless places seeking rest. In other words... Uh, Demons only want to have waterless places, dry places or places where they can discern where there is no spirit of God moving and working. They don't like where God is. They want to run away from God. So they go out to these water places because that's where they think they can have rest. But the only home demons or demonic spirits or, as it says here, unclean spirits, the only home that they really find rest in is in the heart of man that doesn't follow Christ. That's where they can go and just run rampage on people. And so it's, it's seeking to find rest. It leaves him, but it doesn't find rest because it only finds rest in the heart of a man. So it says to itself, I'm going to go back. And then Spurgeon says when he's talking about this, this unclean spirit as it leaves the heart of a man that doesn't follow Jesus, it says the crafty spirit takes the keys of the house with him, for he means always to return. And so it says this, then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. So I'm going to go back to the heart of this man that doesn't follow Jesus and torment him even more and move him further away from Christ. Again, talking to these hard, cold hearts of the Pharisees. And this is what he says after that. And when he comes in, he founds the house empty, swept, and put in order. What in the world are you talking about? All right, here's what we mean. First of all, it's empty. There's still no presence of God there. Repentance has not happened in this man's life. But... The house was a cluttered mess when the the unclean spirit was there. When he left, this is what happens. The man decides to to sweep up the house and put it in order. This is what this means. Things look a little bit better in the life of this man in regard to outside sin. How much does that sound like Jesus later on in Matthew 23 when he says, you clean up the outside of the cup, but the inside, you're wretched. You're whitewashed tombs. You clean it up on the outside, but inside of your heart, you're just decaying. This is what he's saying. On the outside, people, you've cleaned it up. The gross, terrible sins that everybody would say is bad, those things are gone. You've swept up. The outside's starting to look clean. But you're empty. Everything looks in order. But here's the thing. There may be some kind of decorations and flowers on the outside of your life, and everything looks good, but the cold religion, the pride of your heart has made you even more moral, and more legalistic, and more rule follower than ever. Because you think, I've cleaned myself up. I certainly don't need a Savior. Look, everything's better in my life. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not in this house. A divine change has not come into the heart of this man and wrought change and turned this hard heart into a soft heart that is receptive to Christ. So what happens? This is what happens. It's not good news at all. Verse 45 Then this uh, unclean spirit, it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits, more even evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. When a heart is so prideful and and thinks that it's doing um, it's earning righteousness by by. Their outward acts rather than a heart that's been changed by Jesus, by faith in him, because of the good news that Jesus came and died for me in my place. And that's the only way I can have right standing with God is by putting my faith in Jesus, not my own like cleaning myself up stuff. Then it gets even worse. And it says, and the last state of that person is even worse than the first. The enemy, which is Satan, is not wavered. By someone who's a moralist at heart. Who is someone who just loves rules. The one who's just a lover of rules. Is as much of a slave. To the man who is an extreme. Sinful debaucherous human being. That just loves sin to its uttermost. Both of them are. Workers of this unclean spirit. He's not at all perplexed by either one of them. He loves both of them. That's what is teaching us. And it says that the state of that person. Is even worse than before. They're saying is that this cleaning up and sweeping and putting everything in order where he thinks he's okay gives this pharisee gives this hard heart an even extra measure of pride that thinks that everything's okay so that things are actually going to even be worse in the end than better because this man is moving himself to where he doesn't want Christ at all. That's what happens when you don't look at Jesus, your great prophet, priest, king, and you don't exercise mercy and you don't repent of your sin and you don't seek him for wisdom. That's what happens. Spurgeon says they're relapsing into sin like they of pride it's is like relapses in disease. It even gets more dangerous than the original malady. Diseases when they relapse are even worse. And this is exactly what happens to these cold-hearted Pharisees. So what you need to do and what I need to do and what everybody needs to do is to seek King Jesus for wisdom. And we need to seek Prophet Jesus and repent. And we need to sing our priest Jesus to extend mercy to us. Because he is the only one that can save us. So... Now that we've kind of talked about Jesus being our prophet, priest, king, and kind of big categories, let's just kind of be real practical here. Um, where does all this kind of... Where does the rubber meet the road? How does this actually work in real life? What's the point here that I'm supposed to understand as you've told me all this, Fudd? I, 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 can you just give me a hand and let me understand what Jesus is trying to tell me? Here's what Jesus is trying to tell you. Have a soft heart. Not like the hard-hearted Pharisees, but instead like the Queen of Sheba, like the Ninevites that repented at the preaching of Jesus. Have a hard heart. I'm sorry, soft heart at the preaching of the gospel. I've seen this firsthand in my life. Someone that was just like a Ninevite. I mean, so far sinful. And I knew that within the first five minutes of meeting him. Whenever I was in seminary, uh, we had to do this project in class where we had to do you know, the scary evangelism, evangelism is telling people about Jesus. You have to go up to perfect strangers and say, hi, perfect stranger. Um, I'm kind of you know, exaggerating this a little bit. Hi, perfect stranger. I'd like to tell you about Jesus and how to get saved. And they, you know, they have to decide whether you're crazy or not and whether they're going to listen. Um, and so, we, I mean, knock on the door. And the guy answers the door, hi, we're with so-and-so church in the seminary, I like to tell you about, get off my doorstep, what are you waking me up for? I mean, I've had that happen before. So anyway, that wasn't working out great, so we had this other idea where we were going to do car washes. And so the idea was we would have um, a station of car wash where people would drive through and get a free car wash, Um, and so just as you're getting a free car wash, I want to tell you about the free gift of Jesus. And that was kind of our, our little segue. It was amazing. And we wrote it ourselves. Um, and so we would have about, we'd have about six people, four or five people in the little station. And so the, the cars would come through and, you know, everybody would go wash the car except for one. One would stay back and that was the evangelist. And so we took little shifts. And so my shift was um, this huge, and I mean, Huge like monster truck comes in and it's my evangelism time. This is like so big that you got to drop the bucket down at the at the drive through to to the lady to put your money in. She can take your money and she, you pull your food back up. Like that kind of big huge truck, they're going to be washing that car forever, you know. And it's my turn to evangelize these two. Twenty-year-old, I mean, super redneck guys, and so they get out the truck and they're they're going on the truck, and I come over here, and so I'm sitting down and I'm just like, "What in the world am I going to say?" I have no idea, and so you know, I, I use my little awesome line, just like this: "This car wash is free." I want to tell you about the free uh, gift of Jesus, and it actually worked amazingly enough. And so I'm sitting down on, on this kind of side ledge while they're washing the car, and I'm I'm talking to them about Jesus. This guy. Tells me, I can't remember either one of their names. This guy tells me that he's a Christian, but this guy tells me he's not. And I can tell, I mean, immediately into the conversation that these guys were living a pretty rough, sinful life. There was... You can just discern that pretty fast. You know what I mean? You can discern that pretty fast. And so, I'm just praying. And here's the point. They exercised soft hearts like the Ninevites at the preaching of the gospel. I didn't know these guys at all. In the whole... 20 minutes, and the whole conversation was done, and I never saw him again. Well, I saw the other guy. I'll, I'll talk to you about it in a second. So I'm talking to him about Jesus, and I'm telling him about Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sin. If we put our faith that that was us, that was should have died, but he did it for us, we can never earn a right standing with God by trying to do good things and, and just walk through the whole gospel with him. And at the end, I, I look at the guy, and I was like, um, I'm, I don't remember the names. I'm just going to call him Bo and Luke. So I look over here at Bo, and I say, <laughs> Bo, um, would you... Would you like to, you know, become a Christian? Would you like to put your faith in Christ and be forgiven? And Bo's like, yeah, I would. And I was like, I can't believe that. I'm like, I didn't say that out loud, but I'm thinking, (laughs) I can't believe. Like, Bo said yes. And so um, one of my favorite things to do whenever God lets me lead people to Christ is, uh, I don't say, so repeat after me, you know, and welcome, Lord, dear Lord, please forgive me. Please, I don't do that. So I just say, in your best understanding of Wanting to be forgiven in your own words, just, just voice that up to God right now. You you can't say it wrong because it's the heart that believes and is justified. It's just the mouth that confesses. So with your with your best words, just confess that you're sinner and your need for Jesus. Um and my favorite thing is because I get to hear the first prayer of someone becoming a Christian. I mean, that's just amazing. Give me chills. So the guy um the guy starts praying, and it's just, you know. Pretty good and he's just expressing his his understanding of needing to be forgiven and, and he's he's he finishes and he goes, Amen. like that and he goes man i feel different Luke goes that's the holy spirit man and i was like luke you're right good job excellent and uh, you guys done i mean they're up there forever um and so finally it all comes to a conclusion and i get bo's address um and i mean i don't remember his name so i get his address and i go and buy him a bible i go to his house and i give him his bible and i got to meet with him a couple more times he eventually moved but my point is like in just a small amount of time 20 minutes his heart was soft to the receptivity of hearing the gospel, and my point is, this is the heart that God wants you to have. There is no, there is no amount of sin. There is no I'm too far gone to receive Jesus. Every one of you, if you will have a soft heart like the Ninevites, can receive forgiveness. He's saying, Come to me. You are wise if you come to me. You are wise if you repent only to Christ, and I will extend mercy to you and forgive you. And for those that maybe have these Pharisaical tendencies don't love law. He wants you to have a soft heart that wants to pursue after Him. He wants you to have a soft heart that doesn't want to earn righteousness, but freely receive the forgiveness of Jesus. So this means tomorrow, if you really sin against someone, perhaps you say something pretty extraordinarily terrible to your spouse or to your children, or... You're caught in the middle of a sin. You don't need to say if you're in Christ. God's so upset with me right now. I can never go and you know, reconnect with him the way it was. It's just the relationship is broken. The gospel says, Hebrews seven says, you have full assurance to enter right into the presence of God. Because every sin you've ever committed has already been paid for by Christ on the cross. So you can go with absolute assurance, knowing that that sin or any sin that you have committed or will commit, nothing keeps you from um, entering into the presence and enjoying the fellowship and the forgiveness and um, the forgiveness of God for the rest of your life. That's the great news of the gospel. And you can have that today. So what he's wanting you to have right now... the the point he's trying to say is have a soft heart. Don't be like the Pharisees. If you do, neutrality is not, is not allowed here. And if you do, if you're neutral or you harden your heart, the state of your, of your heart is going to be worse than before ever. But if you pursue Christ, you can receive forgiveness. If you pursue Christ, you can receive mercy. And if you repent, which is the wise thing to do, you can be forgiven and have life eternal with Jesus. So, as we go into our time of worship, um, I want you to just do some self examination and ask the Lord to give you a soft heart, a soft heart that's receptive to Him. If you don't know Him, put your faith in Him today. Receive forgiveness and live eternally with Him. If you do know Him, ask, Lord, please don't make me a hard heart like the Pharisee. Give me a soft heart. And then stand and worship. Give thanks to Jesus. For what he's done for you in the gospel. Spend some time reading. Spend some time confessing. Spend some time maybe repenting of sin. But stand and sing. We're going to have three songs right now where we can really let this kind of sink in. We've we've heard from God. Not from me. You've heard from God because this is his word. And you need some time to think through and respond and repent and pray. And I just invite you to, to take full advantage of this. And then let's stand and worship as you feel led let's pray lord thank you for your word thank you that um, for those who are hard-hearted you offer repentance at the preaching of the gospel i pray for all of us lord that we would not allow ourselves to be hard-hearted today but we would soften our hearts to the things of god Be with us now as we worship. And perhaps people here have done some self-examination and said, you know, I I am non-responsive to the things of Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would just come and just amaze them with the fact that you are the greatest prophet. You are the greatest priest. You are the greatest king. You are the King Jesus over their life. Amaze them with that reality and soften their heart to that. And may they worship you not just here in song, but as they leave with their life, may they worship you with their life, with the way they make decisions, with the way they make choices, will they all be Christ-honoring. And for the legalists, Lord, like myself, who can't, um, it seems sometimes, continually remember that I don't have to do anything to have right standing with God. That I get to, based on the forgiveness I already have, get to respond with a life of worship. Lord, kill those things. Help us remember the great gospel call in chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. where you say, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Help us remember that, Lord. That great call you give us to put our faith in you for forgiveness and continually live in that. For those here that don't know you, Jesus, I pray that they would respond either during the time of response through song or, Lord, after church, they would find me or find the person they came with and say they want Christ. They need forgiveness of their sin and they want to put their faith in him today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.